Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Creatives and Coffee. My name is Anna and joined with me is my co-host Jamison. Hi Jamison, how are you? I'm good Anna, how are you? Yeah, good, good. I'm so excited for today's episode. We are talking all things film industry, movies, TV shows and most importantly how young Brisbane creatives can get into the industry and how they can thrive and not feel pressure or anything like that. So we are obviously talking to each other, but you guys don't want to hear just from us. We've got a beautiful guest here with us today. His name is Frank Menken and he is a young creative from Brisbane. Say hi, Frank. Hi, Frank. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm great, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, good. So we obviously are really excited to chat with them about what they are doing in the industry at the moment and what's next as well. First, like, I want to just chat about some movies. So, Frank, big question. Have you seen Thor? I did. I watched it last week Thursday. Sweet. Thoughts, comments. It's not a good movie, but I had fun. And that's what's important. I like that. I think that was my takeaway as well. Yeah, Yeah, personally, I feel like in the more recent years, you know, since, I guess, Spider-Man, Marvel has gone for this, like, quantity over quality in their films. I first noticed it in Doctor Strange. I thought, hey, you know what? It's Sam Rami. It's still a good movie. But in terms of quality content, I feel like there was a, I guess, let down. And yeah, I feel like just Thor was a Guns N' Roses soundtrack to a pretty me- mediocre movie. I thoroughly enjoyed Thor. But honestly, I'm starting to treat the Marvel movies more like they're just little roller coaster rides now. Like, I, I'm not excited about them. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who we like uh, always talk about movies. And he was like super stoked for Thor and didn't want any spoilers. And I was like reading all the spoilers and stuff before I saw it. Cause I was like, I just don't really care anymore. I think I've had that since Endgame came out. Um, Cause it's not really building towards anything. It's just like each individual thing. And it's really weird that we now have a movie for every new character. I don't think we need that. We didn't have that for Black Widow or Hawkeye or like half of the Avengers, the original Avengers. So like, why do we need it now to build a new thing whatever it's leading to now yeah yeah it's interesting you said that because yeah i feel like every movie since has been in itself like a filler Mm. until we get to a point but we don't know what that point is yeah you know yeah i just don't care anymore yeah it gets to that point yeah i was watching i remember watching multiverse of madness and i was sitting there with my cousin and about halfway through the movie i leaned over to him and i was like is this a bad movie (laughs) does this movie kind of suck and he was like yeah i think this is a bad movie which was really disappointing i was really excited for that movie yeah I definitely think there were good elements in it that I haven't seen in some movies in a long time, particularly in Marvel. And they definitely played around with some things, but generally... I think Sam Raimi did the best that he could with the script that he was given. Yeah. There was just some random characters and random elements in there. I was just like, wait, why? I don't get it. I also feel really bad for the VFX department on all the Marvel movies at the moment (laughs) because they're so overworked and I feel so bad for them. Yeah. And, Yeah. And they get so much strife from people that are like you the vfx are so bad now but it's just because they're overworked and they get told they get given like a week to make a vfx for a 150 million dollar budget movie i feel like there's a lot of unnecessary pressure placed on them yeah and at the end of the day it's not their fault you know? no 100 yeah for sure so i don't know if most people should know this i'm assuming but thor was actually filmed in queensland on the gold mm-hmm. coast or a part of it was at least um what is your thoughts about the film industry kind of like migrating from Hollywood to Australia a little bit. Honestly, I think it's really good for the film industry in Australia. Like we have quite a, historically we've had quite a good film industry here. Um, 
but most of it has just been VFX work. So there's a lot of VFX houses across Australia. Um, but seeing the actual shooting start to take place in the Gold Coast now, I think it started with the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. A lot of them were shot here. Um, and then as we've kind of gone on, Marvel is starting to shoot a lot of stuff here. I think it's really good for the industry in general and it, it creates a lot of jobs in Australia and for Australian film. Um, but it does make it really weird within the movies themselves because they're casting extras from the Gold Coast. And I noticed it in Thor specifically because there's a scene, I won't spoil it, but there's a scene with a bunch of kids and, and a bunch of the kids talk individually and they're like, I'm from this planet. And I was like, no, you're all from the Gold Coast and you sound like you're from the Gold Coast. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Thor has this like sick Asgardian accent. They're all like, well, I'm from the Makaki planet. <laughs> it's like, no, you're from Australia. <laughs> I guess, you know, in itself, it's not a technically a bad thing that we're using locals because that, you know, it's, it's supporting no, it's local great. talent. It's a great thing. But yeah, I yeah. guess you, you pick up on things like that, especially yeah. those high budget movies. Yeah, absolutely. Know. But no, it's great. Like, obviously, yeah. it's fantastic that we're getting a more active film industry here. That's it. I'm mostly because we don't really have as much in the way of film unions and things like that as we do in uh, as they do in America. Um, a lot, of, a lot of it is written into the legislation, so it'll be interesting to see if it does continue to boom over the next ten, twenty, fifty years. If we will end up having more union things like that, um, we have, we do have some of that stuff here in Australia, but it's not really. Um, they don't really have as much legal ground. They're more just like a, an intermediary, from what I understand. I'm not a legal professional. Yeah, I think we have been learning. I mean, we did a, a class a lot while ago about Australian media and just like the regulations that are on um, what you can and can't show in Australia even mm. or what you can and can't yeah. record and how much of it, how much of the cast and how much of the crew have to are Australian for it to be an Australian movie. Yeah. And that that line is just getting more and more blurred, which is good in a sense because it means that we are getting more um, international films be mm. utilizing Australia's resources for good and for um, creativity and content and creating more jobs and all that kind of thing. So I'm really excited about that as well. And I think that that's something that, yeah, people are actually thinking about now and the government is actually thinking about mm. now, which I was like, woohoo. It's definitely a big positive for not only locals, but Australia in general. Um, I know recently the um, governments have been giving, you know, Hollywood essentially these incentives these grants to come over film here bring all your actors do this we'll supply everything you need it's the incentive yeah um you know look recently a bit of Elvis was shot on the Gold Coast um Thor obviously it is it's great but then also on the on the flip side of that the downside is that now as great as it is that we have this growing market in in the Gold Coast for film they're still shipping over directors cinematographers producers like like all the major roles in the film they're still coming from Hollywood it just happens to be that they're shooting here because they have a good tax incentive yeah. and um covid related reasons to be shooting here yeah. so it it gives opportunity for lower production staff and extras and things like that to get work um like there's a lot of gaffing work and and lighting work and things like that and like ad uh, sorry a assistant roles um but there's not really the opportunity for Australian directors to suddenly have the have the chance to work on a Hollywood film, which I think is kind of sad. Would you ever work on a Hollywood film? I'm not a fiction uh, filmmaker, so no. Um, but okay, you know. well, what do you do? Let's let's get into this because I'm actually really excited to hear about you and hear about you know your kind of journey in this um, in the Brisbane filmmaking scene. So in particular, so. Um, who are you? 
kind of thing. Like not nothing, not like from birth I was, but you know, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Like um, many many moons many, ago, many moons ago, a man met a woman. Just who are you, and who are you as a creative, and you know what's the what what are you doing at the moment? What's your what what's happening for you at yeah. the moment? Well, um. I'm a documentary filmmaker. That's what I call myself now. I was a photographer for a while. Before that, I was, I've been in the creative industry for um, a, a, just over a decade now, which is wild. Um, so, yeah, I, I ended up making the switch over to filmmaking um, officially probably three or four years ago. Um, but I've been, it was one of those things where I've been making films my whole life but didn't really realize that it was something that I was doing or something that I was good at. Um, like, looking back at my life, like, I made my first film when I was – nine i made my first short film at 12 i was making stuff constantly i was constantly making uh, movies for youtube and uploading them and and doing the stuff but it never really occurred to me that it could be a career um so i went into acting then i went into photography i did photography for a while loved everything to do with photography um but it wasn't it was one of those things where i loved it but it wasn't really clicking for me personally and i still love i still do a lot of photography work when i get asked to but it's not something that i necessarily advertise um and then a couple of years ago, a friend of mine reached out and asked if I wanted to shoot some stuff with them. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. And and started doing that. And, and it all just kind of fell into place from there. Um, and then at the start of 2021, I got asked to work on a documentary um, with, with someone that I'd met in my first year of uni um, and hadn't spoken to in a very long time. And I was like, hey, do you want to work on this documentary with me? I think you'd be really good for it. Um, mostly because I had been doing a a, a podcast for a while, um, which I've been doing for two and a half years now. Um, so I had, I have quite a lot of interview experience. So he wanted me to, to be interviewing people, um, and working on this documentary, which still isn't out. Um, it ended up being a much larger project than we intended. Um, and there's a lot of things that I can't say about it, but that was kind of my first foray into it. And then since then I've, I've worked on heaps of different documentary projects, um, most of which also still aren't out, but should be starting to come out end of this year, early early 23. Um, but yeah, so I kind of fell into that. And there was a point where I was realizing like, oh, I really love doing this, but I'm not quite as good as I want to be at it. Like I have the basic knowledge. I have the basic understanding of how to film, how to edit, how to how to do all these things. But I was in no way a master. Like I hadn't, you know, I hadn't made my 10,000 hours yet. So at the end of 2021... I was thinking like, okay, how can I really get invested in this? How can I get really serious about this? And I was thinking and thinking, I was like, oh, I can make it, I can make it like six documentaries over the course of the year, or I could work on a big feature film, or I could, you know, go down the traditional track and network and get on proper like feature films with like $10 million budgets, things like that. And I, I was had this whole list drawn up in my notebook trying to figure out what I actually was going to do. Um and then I was, I watch a lot of YouTube when I work because I do a lot of writing work and, and copywriting and marketing and things like that as well. And um, while I was doing that for a while, I was like watching a bunch of YouTube videos and I was watching um, Casey Neistat, Peter McKinnon, uh, Maddie Hapuya, Chris Howe, all those kinds of people. Um, oh, I've forgotten his other, uh, Cody Wanner. They were, they, I was watching all of them. I went, oh, I can, I can do that. Like you, you watch all of that and you kind of don't realize that that's something that you can just do. They're just people, you, you know, they, they all made that decision as well to do that. Um, so that was probably like early December. And at that point I was like, okay, I should start thinking about pro- taking YouTube seriously, taking YouTube filmmaking seriously. 
and I tried it in the past and I tried to commit to doing three movies a week on YouTube and uploading them and, and that went great for a while and then at some point I lose interest. At some point I stopped doing it. So I was like, okay, how does my motivation work? How does my discipline work? So I kind of had to look internally and figure out you know, what actually works for me and what I realized was it's, it's something that I preach a lot and I talk about a lot now is that motivation is kind of this this made-up concept. It doesn't really exist. You're never motivated randomly. There's always something that creates that motivation. And what clicked for me was that what makes my motivation and what I think makes everyone's motivation is discipline. So something that I say is uh, uh, motivation is just discipline in disguise. So at the end of December 2021... I decided that I was going to do a daily vlog, um, which consists of filming my entire day and then at night getting home at 10 p.m., 11 p.m., editing for two, three hours, uploading it, scheduling it, falling asleep, do it all again the next day. And in all seriousness, I didn't think I was going to get very far with it. I didn't think I was going to keep doing it. And then somewhere along the way, I was like probably 30 days in and I realized that I hadn't stopped. I hadn't missed a day. I was like, oh, okay this is something that I can feasibly do, like this works. And I was like, I'll keep going, see how far I go. And I'd I'd said in my head that I was going to do it for a year. And then I got to day 50 and then day 100 and then 150. And two days ago, I hit 200. So it kind of got to a certain point where I was like, I can't stop now. It's definitely a milestone achievement, isn't it? Yeah. And it, it just gains traction and snowballs. And so it's like, I just have to finish it now. Like I'm too far gone now to stop. Um, and, and not only has it been really good for my filmmaking, like uh, if you compare the first vlog to, to 201 yesterday, marked difference. Like it's insane how different it is. And it's not just in the, the quality of the footage, but it's in the storytelling and how it's put together, how it's edited, how I present myself and other people. Everything's a skill, even talking to a camera. Um, and not only have I learned all of that, but it's also been a really, really good networking opportunity because people see you with a camera and, and, you know, it's, it's a fairly serious camera. Um, and they go, oh, what do you do? Why do you have that? Why, why are you filming everything today? They're like, oh, are you the photographer? Are you the videographer? It's like, oh, no, I, this is for myself. Like, this, is, this just goes on my YouTube channel. But I do do actual film work. And then they go, oh, interesting. Like, let me get your contact details. Like, we'll be in touch, that sort of thing. I know it's like a really stereotypical thing people say. It's like, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah. Um, I guess just like hearing your you know, journey so far, it really is who you know. Absolutely. In terms of networking. Yeah. 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 Um, at the same time that I started the daily vlog, I moved into a, a warehouse in Albion, which is an artist in residence program. And there's 24 artists in that building. And, and that was a massive turning point for myself as well. I think the combination of starting the daily vlog and joining that residency program um, has completely changed the course of my career. Because now I've met all of these wildly creative people that are all doing incredible things like some of them are music video directors and some of them are musicians or painters or graphic designers or models or photographers like it's crazy and so I just have this this pool of people that I can pull from and that I spend almost every day with um but no you're totally right it is who you know and it's such a cliche thing to say to be like oh it's not what you know but it's who you know but it's true it just is like you need to go to networking events you need to go to galleries you need to go to film screenings you just need to meet people and that's how you get work that's how I get all my work how, like, that's not just walking around with a camera and having people come up to you. And no, it say, is. It fully is. No, 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 no. It's, oh. <laughs> it's, I was going to say, it's not a conventional way of 
of networking. Not really. Like in my mind, no. I'm like going to events and meeting people like what you just said. That's like a conventional way of meeting people. Yeah. Not walking around with an obscene camera. I think the unconventional ways are the ways that leave the most impact on people and True. makes them think of you first when they think of projects. So what could you, what, what should people do? Like if people wanted to... Young people wanted to be in this industry. If you want to be a photographer or a filmmaker, never leave your house without your camera. There you go. That's it. Like literally it's as simple as that because just just having it with you is enough of a foot in the door for people to ask you about it. And then you can go, oh, I'm actually a photographer and I do headshots and I do dance photography and I do all this and I do abstract photography and I've been shooting photos for eight years and I'm really stoked about it. And here's my portfolio. And if you ever need headshots done, let me know. That'll be $1,300. And then they're like, okay, sick. I'll book you with my whole business. That's 10 grand, you know? Yeah. I guess leaving the house with a camera as a photographer or you know, a video guy, it sets almost an image for yourself. Yep. Without you even knowing. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. I see someone walking down the street with a camera, I'm like, oh, they must do something for that. Yeah. You know, you're almost like branding and selling yourself. Yeah. It's the assumption. Yeah. It's the same reason. It's the same thing. If I was to say it to painters, I would say, wear your paint covered clothing everywhere. Mm. Never take off those painty overalls because it works. It just works. <laughs> like, it's your identity. Yeah. Musicians carry around your guitar, mm. you know, everything. Just keep your thing with you. It's it's that foot in the door that lets people know like, oh, that's something that I can engage you about. Yeah. So did you... Sorry, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Go did hectic. you go to... you? Obviously, I'm assuming you finished high school. Well, actually, I'm assuming. I did. I know that you finished, I finished high school. I finished high school. Um, and did you do film in high school or like did no, you... No, I didn't actually. So how... I mean, so that didn't spark from high school and you didn't immediately go into filmmaking out of high school what was that kind of transition from being like in high school which I I can tell you was very structured and very sheltered to going and choosing to do something out in the big bad world you said you did acting and you did photography Mm -hmm. can you like talk us about your like mindset a little bit well it wasn't for lack of trying in high school I actually I tried really hard to get into film subjects um but I I got put in a music extension program in high school and that or, or one of I might have been regular musical music extension, I can't remember, but one of those directly clashed with my film and TV classes at school. So I couldn't do that in, in school. So I went into acting after high school, did that for a year, wasn't happy, ended up really hating it, um, mostly because of community reasons that I won't go into. Um, but <laughs> not people, not people. I just don't like having to audition for things because it makes me feel like a bad person. So fair. Um, so I, I, I ended up swapping degrees um, over to an advertising photography degree. COVID hit uh, six months into that, so I deferred. Um, and at the end of that year, they said that they were dissolving that degree. Um, so they said all people that have completed their first year can continue in advertising photography. Everyone else has to do um, fine art photography. I deferred those six months, so I hadn't completed my first year. So I kind of got screwed and they were like, all right, well, you can do fine art photography. And I was like, well, that's not what I signed up for, so I'm not going to do that. So I dropped out, um, honestly like floated for a while, doing really like minor projects here and there, but mostly all I was doing was working three days a week at a marketing job and and climbing all the time. I picked up rock climbing um, just before all that happened. So I was just floating and literally like my my end of year for that year, I spent New Year's Eve, New Year's Day and the 2nd of January at the climbing gym, like open till close because I just had nothing better to do. Um, so I was floating for a really long time and then that friend approached me about the documentary um, which actually came about through the podcast. We invited him on the podcast and he wanted to stay connected after that. 
Um, so that's how that connected. So again, who you know, not what you know. Mm. Um, and that kind of reignited that love for film for me, I think, and got me really invested in it. Um, and he introduced me to a bunch of people that he knows and then and then it all snowballed from there. Yeah, so, yeah, that's that's really cool. Yeah. You were saying earlier, like, obviously, you, you know, tried photography, tried this. You realise, you know, if not straight away, at a reasonable time, like, it's not really what you wanted. But then, you know, you started your, these other projects. You got to day 150, day 200, and you're loving it. What's, like, I guess your mindset? How did you know, like, straight away, like, you know, photography isn't necessarily this path, but doing a project for 200 days without, you know, thinking about it what's the mindset for that i still love photography don't get me wrong um the only reason i do film now is because i find it more i really love editing like i love editing video that's that's like my main joy in making a daily vlog i don't think i would do it if i didn't get to edit it myself so it's it's hard but when i switched over to film the thing that made me realize that it it was something that I wanted to do with my life, at least for the foreseeable future, because I have no idea where I'll be in five, ten years. I hope doing documentary film, and I hope that I'm still doing cool stuff, um, but I just I just don't know. Um, but the thing that really made it click for me was the fact that actually it was it was one specific night, and it was it was probably a month into doing the daily vlog, because I wasn't even sure then if this was what I wanted to do forever. Um, but it was about a month in and I got invited to do a, a panel show um, for a TV pilot. And it was um, a bunch of comedians. And then for whatever reason, they invited me. Like I was the only non-comedian on this panel show. And I was sitting there like vlogging, doing the, like, vlogging the show, doing the whole thing. Um, and it finished at like three in the morning or four, like, like an absurd time, three, four in the morning. Um, and I, I lived an hour away. So I had to drive all the way home, got home at 4.35 the vlog goes up at 8 a.m. or at 6 a.m. every morning. So I got home, I think I got home at 4.30. And I got home and it was one of those like make or break moments where you're like, how committed am I actually to doing this? Because, you know, 10 people were watching the vlog at the time, but that wasn't what it what mattered to me. I didn't really care. It was more about the, the that discipline over motivation for myself because I sure as hell was not motivated to edit that at 4.30 yeah. in the morning. But I was disciplined enough to get home and be like, no, I have to get this done. Even if it's not fantastic, even if it's not like the best thing I've ever edited and put together, it has to be done. It has to be edited and up at 6 a.m. Um, and I got it done at 5.45, uploaded it, went to bed and woke up at 1 p.m. In the nick of time. Yeah. Yeah. It's really like a test on yourself to how committed you are to yeah. wanting to achieve this. And and those tests exist in every creative pursuit you know you're always going to be tested you're constantly going to get tested by how for how much you actually want something and the people that can get through those tests and can actually do that are the ones that make it like i look at creators on youtube particularly someone like uh, mkbhd marquez brownlee he uploaded i think a thousand videos before he cracked a thousand subs something like that something absurd and it's just like you look at that and you go would i be that motivated and he's you know one of the largest creators on youtube now in the tech field for anyone in your position in that point in time, like that test on self, if they're there or if they're almost there or if it's day one for them and they have to reach that point, what's your advice to them to get through? Look inside yourself and think about whether you really want it or not. And that's so, it's so, it's such a cop-out answer, but it is true. If you're, if you're not keen, if you're not stoked, it, like I'm stoked every day to make a vlog. 
Like every day I wake up, I'm like, I have no idea what today holds. I have no idea what the vlog's going to look like at the end of the day, but I'm excited to get out there, film and edit it at the end of the day. If you don't have that level of excitement at any point, it's probably not what you should be doing. And I'm not saying that it's all sunshine and roses like all the time. It's going to suck. Like there are going to be times. Editing at 4.30 in the morning sucks. It's the worst. Seeing the sunrise as you're exporting your video in front of that computer. is not nice. <laughs> but if you're committed and you're excited about it, then, then I'd say you'll get through anything. It's that excitement. It's that stoke for doing it. If it becomes a chore or you feel like you're working for it, it's not Yeah, it's not the right thing. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And I think the same can be said for like just a general career. It's like if you're not stoked to get up, particularly as a creative, like you need to have that kind of mm. the energy when you wake up in the morning and you need to have that creative drive. And mm. what do you do when you like, are there any days that you feel creative fatigue or um, mind blanks or blocks or like what's the equivalent to a writer's block for a filmmaker? Yeah. Whatever. I just say a creative block. Honestly, creative block. no. Um, I think there's there's a certain point where something that I preach a lot now is that feeling creative isn't really a thing. It's something that people like to tell themselves, but it's a combination of hundreds of thousands of things that are going on in your life at a specific time. The reason that you feel creative is because you slept eight hours, you had a good breakfast, you watched a good movie, you listened to the music that you like. You know, there's, there's a compounding of things that have gotten you to the point where you're like, oh, I have ideas to create. If you set yourself a space and a time every single day where you go, I need to create, and you're consistent with that for two, three, four weeks, your mind gets used to that. Your brain gets used to it. It goes, oh, at that time, that's my creative time. And then up to that point in the day, you'll be standing in the shower or you'll be making a sandwich and you'll be like, oh, I have an idea for my creative time. Like, I know what I can do then. So, no, I don't get creative fatigue anymore. I used to before I started setting specific times aside in my day-to-day life to actually be creative. In terms of those you know, creative times, is there ever a time where you know, you're doing your thing throughout the day, you get to that time, it's like, oh, I actually don't think of anything, I don't have anything. Do you sit there for 10, 15 minutes until you think of something or is it a process of coming back at a later point? No, I just start. Okay. I, I think it's like... <laughs> I equate it to, I've started running um, recently and I equate it to running. Once you put your running shoes on, th- this is something that a lot of running gurus talk about. Put, just put your running shoes on and you can't take them off until you've gone for a run. And, and that's kind of how I think about my editing as well. Like when, once I've sat down at the computer and my SD card or my CF card is plugged into the computer, that's editing time. Like I have to get it done. Um, I don't remember what the original question was, but I think that answered it. Yeah, that covered it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to wrap it up, I think, in a minute. But I really want to know, um, for people who are in maybe year 11 or 12, 10, 11 or 12, thinking about what they want to do for the rest of their life, thinking about what the next step is straight after school, um, given your experience in both uni, um, changing uni degrees, not doing uni, freelancing, and then all the COVID hubbub, um, given all of that, what is the best advice you could give to someone who is sitting in that lecture theater at school or, or auditorium at school and, and listening to them talk and about uni, what's their advice? What's your advice for them? There's a lot of pressure for and like high school aged kids to know what they want to do with their career. And this is something that I've always had a problem with, but really looking back at my high school time, 
realized that it really did have a negative impact on me and what, where I was going in life. There's, there's just this immense pressure that you need to know exactly what you're going to do. And then when you leave school, you need to go on the right degree, get done, get it done in three, four, five years, leave, go into that career, do it for the rest of your life. That's just not how people work. The, the career that you choose when you're 18 is probably not going to be the career that you do when you're 30. And the career that you do at 30 is probably not going to be the career that you do at 45. Humans are always changing and humans are always evolving mentally and physically and doing the things that you want to do is going to be significantly more beneficial for you than doing the things that you think you need to do. When I was in school, I was really against and kind of confused by people that took gap years. Mm. But looking back, I think a gap year really would have benefited me. Um, So I think my main advice for people that are at the end of their schooling journey would be unless you're absolutely 100% sure that what you think you want to do is what you want to do. And and if you're not already doing it before you leave school, maybe don't go into the degree and just do an internship or just go see, go shadow someone. Like ask some people if you can, if you can follow them around at work. Um, if I had done that before I went into an acting degree, I wouldn't have chosen it. If I had done that before going into a photography degree, I probably wouldn't have chosen it. So test it out beforehand and... <laughs> And really dig deep and figure out what it is that you enjoy doing. If you have been playing piano since you were 10 and you just love doing it, maybe think about doing that, you know? Don't don't follow what people think you can do. And you can make money with anything. That's the other thing I want to say. Everything is monetizable, even if people think it's not. If you're passionate about something, there's no stopping you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I want to add to that. Because, like, I am going into um, the film industry after my degree, hopefully. Um, but I don't... I'm sure I'll have a position for you somewhere. <laughs> not that. I'm not trying to... Networking. not trying to network. But um, I know from experience, I did film in high school. I did um, all the film workshops. I paid buttloads of money to go and use a camera and do things that maybe... I don't know. Sometimes it's just not worth that. Actually, really quickly, I want to yes, plug, plug the film please. workshops. Um, we do film. I, I do film work workshops with my co-founder Sam that combat exactly that. Our workshops are four-day production workshops. We do a production of writing and editing in a VFX one. They're designed to be specifically hands-on. You make a film at the end. You have a finished product. You get specific industry roles. So when you come to the workshop, you get assigned to be a director, a producer, a DP, whatever. It's designed to not be like those really bad workshops where they just go, here's how you use a, a Canon EOS 550D that has a max ISO of 250, you know? Anyway, that's it. Plug. Uh, Creative Angle Studios if you want to check it out. Absolutely. And we'll we'll put that on all of our socials as well. Good. Um, but I am going into, yep, doing film as a part of my degree, not my whole degree, but just there's so many other... Um, careers not just filmmaker mm-hmm. or director or yeah. um dop like there is there actually is a multitude of different careers out there and my my personal advice that i've had to learn the hard way is just you're because you're not going to be a director straight away yes yeah. you're not going to be a director but don't be discouraged by that and yeah. don't be don't feel like it's your only option to get into the film industry yeah. like i want to be producer but i know that's not going to be my first thing my first thing is getting coffee for the producer yeah. like, that's going to be my first and thing those jobs are fun too being a yeah. being a slate on set is really fun yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so just don't be discouraged if like you 
want to be in the industry but you don't think you have what it takes to be a filmmaker first of all you always do and second of all there are so many jobs out there but also dream big and don't let people tell you that you can't do something just because you're young exactly i guess at the end of the day creatives and coffee isn't about you know going to uni getting that degree first year out becoming a director it's about you know that process that journey to reach where you need to reach and just understanding that there are not there's not one pathway and there is not. not one way to do it uni isn't for everyone uni is for some people and you are a perfect example of that like that it's there's different pathways is all i'm saying also one last thing about uni doing uni or not uni a big thing about uni is that it's designed specifically for people that learn in a specific way if you're an oral or a written learner uni is going to be great for you you're gonna you're gonna fly through it i'm not i'm (laughs) i learn by doing i learn by trying and failing get the hands on yeah uni was not good for me in that sense and i really struggled because of it so learn your learning style understand it and i'm not talking about like kinesthetic blah 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 Mm. like just understand how you learn and don't force yourself into something that you're not that's good advice. Second. I second that. Yeah. Because I'm a written learner. And hence, uni yeah. is good for me. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the last thing I want to ask, do you, is there? I know you plugged the workshops. Is there anything else you'd like to plug? Check out my YouTube channel, Frank Menken. F-R-A-N-K-M-E-N-K-E-N. Amazing. And it's the same. I'm the Frank Menken on Instagram and Twitter and all the things. And also, because it's my brother, I'm going to plug the photo show because it's pretty cool. Um, Hell yeah. Frank and Joe, my brother Joe, have a podcast, um, The Fro Show. Check it out on Spotify. Yep. It is amazing. We interview industry guests from all walks of life. Uh, the one that we're uploading coming, I have no idea when this is coming out, but on coming Monday, when, as of recording this, is with uh, Mayatu Nova, who's a BIPOC artist who has just organized the largest BIPOC uh, art event in Southeast Queensland, wow. which is sick. Oh, dang. So check that out, absolutely. Um, I'm sure you guys will have many more episodes up before then. A hundred and something. We're up to a hundred and something. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add, Jamison? I think that sums up about everything for me, yeah. We really want to thank you for coming and chatting with us today. And um, really appreciate your little words of wisdom. And I'm sure they'll go miles. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Creators and Coffee. We hope to see you next episode. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.